Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. first thing I wanted to mention and throw out for everybody is a big thank you for all of you, those who had called in and uh, sent in you know, kind of like the anniversary voicemail messages, happy birthday to Talking Reef type stuff. Uh, a handful of you did that and what I'm going to do is take a minute and play some of those for you. Hey Rob, this is John. Uh, just wanted to uh, say happy anniversary on uh, Talking Reef. Uh, you've helped me a lot here in the past few months, uh, and, uh, you know, with uh, Talking Reef here, it's uh, definitely a uh, a good resource for uh, when it comes to uh, reefs. So, uh, with that, thanks again, and uh, for all your um, hard work, and uh, happy anniversary, man. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Rob, this is Ralph, a.k.a. Armolet. I just want to say happy anniversary to Talking Reef, and I really enjoy your show. Thanks for all your help, and I hope this show goes on for another year and many more after that. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Rob. It's Frank, a.k.a. Bernie on the uh, forum. Just wanted to call and wish you a happy anniversary, and keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Bye. And, of course, like anything, it wouldn't be a real listener call-in voicemail session without a voicemail from our friend Philippe. So here's Philippe sending in his wishes. Hey, Rod, this is Philippe again. Uh, Philippe, right now, um, might be the number one caller on the Talking Reef line um, calling to say happy anniversary for the Talking Reef. You're doing uh, wonderful. I mean, a great job. Uh... I think I would give up the tank back in uh, last year, November, December, when I tried to listen to this uh, talking reef. I was about to give up the, uh, the tank. Uh, I was having a lot of uh, hair allergy, uh, just uh, fishes, and then I started listening to the talking reef. Then I uh, just saw some pictures on the web and doing a lot better. I got a... Um, I fish it now, but now I can keep corals. I, you know, did a lot of uh, improvements. So, uh, happy one year anniversary for the Talking Reef. And uh, because I'm from Brazil, Feliz Aniversario. That's uh, happy anniversary in Portuguese. So, uh, keep up with the great work, man. Thanks. Bye bye. So, again, special thanks to everyone who took the time to send in one of those messages. And at this point, let's move right into our first topic. We've got a good, nice, uh, interesting, long topic for you. I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, and uh, as usual, we got to mention that this, this topic is sponsored by Coral Dynamics. Coral Dynamics specializes in quality captive propagated corals, clownfish, cardinals fish, and seahorses. Make sure you check out CoralDynamics.com. Now, how many of us have sat in front of our tanks at night looking, peering into the reefs, and being totally shocked by what you see? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Well, my guest this week is Brian Plankus. Brian has joined us multiple times in this show, on this show in the past, 
and has joined us again this week to talk about night viewing. Brian, welcome back to the Talking Reef Podcast. Thanks, Rob. Feels like I'm starting to be a regular around here. <laughs> and it's great to have you back again. Um, now, the topic that we're going to be talking about this week is something that um, I think a lot of people that are relatively new in the hobby or you know, starting out or maybe some people that have been around a little while just haven't really stopped and thought about. But it's something that is near and dear to your heart and to mine because it's something I've thoroughly enjoyed over the years. Is And it's about night viewing and basically, you know, stopping at you know when the lights are out and taking a look and peering into our tanks and it's it's the wonders that can be found in there are just amazing stuff that you had no idea about yeah it's, that's very true it's it's almost like having uh two two aquariums yeah you've got, exactly you've got, you've got the day crew and you've got the night crew and they can be quite different yeah and and i've often said the same thing it's like you have to, two totally different tanks so, anyways, the whole point of night viewing here, and to kind of start getting into some of the details, is you know to to view in the dark. Now, let's let's talk about some of the rules and guidelines here. How long after the lights go out should we kind of wait to, before we start viewing the tank? Um, you know, and since it's dark, you know, you can't really see. What's the best type of light to use so that we can actually see what we're looking at? Okay, well. In terms of the, the time to wait, uh, you, you can really start looking any time, but you're probably not going to see a huge difference until about one or two hours after your lights have gone out. Now, you, um, you know, if you have moonlights, that's fine, but once I'm talking about once your, your main lights and your actinics are, have both been off for, for one or two hours. That's what you're, what you're looking for. And the later into the night you go, the, you know, some things take several hours to come out. And um, but after one or two hours, you know, the night the night shift has taken over, and and they're cruising around the tank. And in terms of the the best light to use, um, if you go to a Walmart or or your local sporting goods store, uh, they usually offer a red lensed flashlight, and anywhere from five to ten bucks, and it actually. Uh, has light in the red spectrum, which many of these critters in, in your nighttime tank are either cannot see or can only see very limited. And so they're not scared by the red light, so they won't immediately rush back into the rock. Whereas if you use a really bright white flashlight, like a, you know, a good mag light, <laughs> you're, you're going to, as soon as that tank, as soon as that flashlight goes in the tank, then everything's going to scatter, and right. you're not going to be able to see as much. And but you know, if if you don't have a red lens flashlight, what you can do is get a uh, get a flashlight with some weaker batteries, and if you're able to adjust the intensity of the beam, you know, make it a very wide beam so it's not a a, a focal a focal right. point. Right, just enough light so that you can see in there. And the whole point of the red. Light, as you mentioned, is a lot of the, the stuff that you're going to be looking at is uh, either has limited abilities or no ability to detect light at that uh, that spectrum. So, yep. um, again, summarize it, you know, we're, we're looking um, preferably about an hour or so after the lights go off. But, you know, as you mentioned, various different things happen all throughout the night. So if it's one of those times where it's, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning and you're up for whatever reason in the world... Yeah. Um, you know, take a minute and, and check it out. If you haven't already, you'll probably be amazed. 
Yeah, there's, there's, and and that brings up one very good point. Is there, there was one night I, I woke up around two in the morning and and was very thirsty, so I went to the kitchen and I decided, ah, oh, I'll just scoot over by the tank and see what's going on. And I caught a snail spawning in progress, where I had mm-hmm. three three different species of snails all spawning at the same time, and it was just fascinating to watch. And, yeah. and if I hadn't got up at it was like two or three in the morning. I, I would have missed that. Yeah, and never knew that's, that it happened at the, all. That's one of the few times I've actually seen my snails spawning in my tank. Which yeah, I've only lot. seen mine once, and it was actually during the day. But yeah. um, so now again, you know, a couple hours after the lights go out, we want to try to get a dim light, uh, if you know, preferably a red light or a light with a red lens cover or something on that to put the light back into the red spectrum for us. So now with the, these tools in hand, what type of things should be, should we be looking for? And, you know, when we're looking in there, where is there any kind of secrets as to where the best places in the tank are to look? Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of tools, Rob, uh, one good thing, one additional tool you could bring with you would be just a little bit of food, such as a, a cube of mysa shrimp or mm-hmm. uh, some, some sinking pellets or something that would uh, sink down onto the sand bed and, and just turn off your pumps and just let the food settle. And and that's one of my secrets in, in, able, in you know, luring stuff out. Even even if, you know, even though it's dark and we're doing night viewing, some of them need just a little bit of coaxing. And yeah. if you put a little bit of food in there, then then stuff will come out. But uh, my favorite place to look is, is uh, on the sand bed, especially – along where the rocks meet up with the sand bed. Yep. And, um, and generally, uh, the underside of rocks is usually a good place to look as well. Um, but really, with, if, if, if your tank is in a dark room, you can really look everywhere. And depending on what hitchhikers and critters you have in your tank, you know, it's, you know porcelain crabs will generally tend to hide out on the underside of rocks. So that's where you're going to find them. But mm-hmm. some species of snails, after it's dark, they'll be on the top of the rocks because they'll right. be grazing the algae that built up over the the over the daytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, it's amazing to see the stuff that can come out of there. Now, with all the things that we're seeing, you know, while we're night viewing, uh, if this is something that, you know, some people might be new to, uh, there's a lot of things which might be startling to some people. I mean, people might not have any idea that the, all this stuff was in there. What are the, some some of the things that we should look for, or we, or we should or shouldn't be worried about when we see them? So we spot something. What are some of the stuff that should make us kind of, oh my God, what is that? Or you know, what are the stuff that we should kind of look out for? Yeah, um, <laughs> you're you're very. It's very true. I, I I frequently see threads where people the first time they looked in their tank at night, they're like, <laughs> yeah, oh my God, what's wrong with my mandarin? And, and, <laughs> and that's that's one of the. That's one of the things you need to get used to is that at night and at nighttime, many species of fish will change colors or they'll look like they're dead. But what's actually happening is the fish are just sleeping and and, they need to sleep just like us. And another great thing about the, you know, mentioning about the fish, I mean, some of the things that you might see, I've noticed, you know, my uh, regal tangs or the, the, the dories, the blue hippo tangs. I mean, they'll, they'll turn almost a pale white. I've got one that, sleeps in this little cave laying on its side. It looks like it's, you know, practically dead. Um, Nassau tangs are normally solid brown color. They'll get white spots all over them. 
Um, you know, the fox face will go from a bright yellow uh, with a little bit of brown to a little bit of black, you know, that little black spot that they have on them. They'll change yep. over to a totally drab gray and white, almost just very weird pattern on them. Um, Rasses, like the six-line rasps, will spin themselves into cocoons. Um, the, you know, yellow tangs, they, they turn a very pale color, and you'll see various, you know, darker markings on them. So I, that's, I think that's a good point that you brought up, that when you're looking at your fish, or if you happen to catch them, you know, most of them actually do go and hide at night. But if you do catch them in there and you notice that they look really weird, <laughs> it's probably not something that you should worry about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably very normal, and if you think your your fish is dead or dying, just wait and, until the next day and see how they're doing during the daylight. Exactly. And, and usually they'll be right back to normal. So that's, that's something that you can uh, look out for at night. Another thing that you might see dramatic changes in is your coral. Uh, yes, you great get, point. You, you can get corals that uh, extend a lot of feeding tentacles at night, uh, and your corals are too close together you can see some uh warfare going on at yep. night and uh something that you you may not see during the day and corals can also change in color and size mm -hmm. during the night uh one night i i have uh something we'll talk a little bit about later but one of my my favorite hitchhiking corals is a is a small species of brain coral that's only maybe an inch or two across and one night I looked in my tank and it was about four inches across it looked <laughs> like it was going to explode yeah and, and it turns out that's very normal behavior for yep. that coral so you know just be ready for those dramatic changes yeah and, and I, I know that my my uh, trumpet corals it just I mean then the first time I saw it I was shocked I mean I knew they would do it but I had no idea to the extent and it looks like they they release, they turn themselves completely inside out and all these tentacles come flying out and it looks like a totally different piece of coral. So stuff like that is not, not abnormal. Yeah. And then uh, one other thing I, I see quite frequently in threads is people, for the first time they look at night, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I had so many bugs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's horrible. There's thousands of them. What do I do? And, and most of those bugs are probably going to be good. And, right. And, it's just that they they know it's nighttime and and you know it's, predators are not going to be as prominent at night, so they all come out and that's that's normal. Yep. So yeah, seeing lots of micro crustaceans, your copepods uh, and stuff like that, or amphipods is really what you're going to see. Yep. Uh, mice and, and shrimp and, and stuff like that. Yeah, in my tank, I've got probably a couple thousand mice and shrimp at night, and, and during the day, you barely see them. Okay, so with all the stuff that we might find in there, these startling hitchhikers, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about the corals and the fish and, you know, stuff that we'd find in there. Um, if we find something, you know, that we weren't totally expecting and looks totally off the wall, what do we do with it? Well, Rob, that's actually a very good question uh, because this is one of the things that's kind of near and dear to my heart is, is you know, when you see a startling hitchhiker, what do you do? And, and uh, one of the things that... I see frequently in in this hobby is what's called a shared practice, and 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 all that means is that when people start participating in discussion forums, they start looking at what are people doing, and then they start uh, seeing that behavior as as okay, that's what I'm supposed to do, 
and and so people are are seeing these shared practices and one of those shared practices is when you find a hitchhiker the the shared practice is to either freeze it or kill it and then flush it and, and it just seems very common and, and what we should really be doing with hitchhikers is isolating and identifying them and not freezing and flushing and, and what I mean by that is to take, whenever you see a hitchhiker and you don't know what it is, it, there is a possibility it's bad, there's a possibility that it's good. And if it's in an easily accessible location in your tank, uh, get a cup, or uh, a cup is much more preferable over a net, because nets can be very damaging. Right. Um, but get a cup, scoop it out, and then put it in a little isolation cup in, in your you, know, you can clip it to the side of your tank, or better yet, if you have a sump, you can mm -hmm. put it in a place in your sump where it's not gonna, uh, where it's not gonna fall over. Right. And then um, while you got it in that cup, get some pictures of it, or or even better, you know, actually prepare a, a smaller cup that's only about an inch high, and and put the creature in there, and then you can get better close-ups of it. Right. And, now, and, I'm sorry. Something that I I did kind of wanna to mention here is. Uh, for some people that might be new to this, uh, it, it could be you know so startling. I mean, there's going to be loads and loads and loads of stuff in there that you don't know. So, you know, just you know, I guess for beginners, kind of take it with a grain of salt. If you see something you don't know, um, I mean, you could probably fill you know a, a small you know cup with all the different stuff you've never seen before. I mean, granted that you Very could true. catch them. Um, is there any guidelines to you know, you know, like I said, especially for someone that's somewhat new to this, is there any guidelines to when they're looking at something? Should we be more particular about unidentified crabs or, um, you know, maybe some type of you know sea slugs or something that may not look normal? A lot of the the worms, you know, Bristol worms are something that I've seen commonly that people don't see during the day and they come out at night and people freak out and. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you've tried to catch them before because I've tried to catch them before and they're not the easiest little boogers to catch. Um, no, no. So what are some of the guidelines t behind what we should be looking for in, you know, to say, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I should probably try to catch this thing in some way, shape or form versus, okay, let me just go onto a form and just describe it and, and you know, see what it is and, and stuff like that. Is there, can we provide any advice to somebody that is just totally new to this whole thing? <laughs> well, we, we can. And I, and I know I'll it's a hard thing to get, answer. <laughs> yeah, so this is a very difficult question, but I'll, I'll try to address it a little bit. Uh, the good news about bristle worms is the vast majority of them are actually good scavengers in your reef tank. So totally agree. <laughs> un, unless you see a bristle worm directly attacking something, then they're probably going to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, now, there are some other worms that look kind of similar to them, right. uh, such as, as eucinid worms, which I have one in my tank that likes to chew on brain corals. But <laughs> um, again, like you said, very difficult to catch. Um, and then again, crabs. Most crabs are probably not going to be too good for your for a reef uh, reef tank. Uh, so if you can, if you can isolate a crab, that's good. Um, the bristle worms, crabs. Another thing that might be um, that are usually, but not always, bad hitchhikers are nudibrachs, which right. you know, we talked about in an earlier episode. That 
generally they're, they're usually not a very good thing in reef tanks, but that's where isolating and identifying is perfect because you can if you can get those out uh, and get some pictures of them and get them identified, you, you might have something good. Yes, you might have something very good. Uh, I just observed a thread a couple of weeks ago where somebody found a nudibranch in their tank, and it was actually a bergia that hitchhiked in on their rock. Mm-hmm. And they identified it, and they got it sent to a bergia breeder who needed it for improving the, the genetic diversity of their broodstock. So it was a great find, and right. it really helped out. And that's where you know the power of isolate identify if you can get them identified even if they're not necessarily good for your tank you might find somebody who wants them right uh, so basically man- what you're saying i'm sorry go ahead we had more uh and just one last one is mantis shrimp ah yeah you know, a, a lot of people do not like mantis shrimps in their tank because there's this uh that you know they attack snails or or fish or uh, yeah they... fish or things like that mm-hmm Whereas a lot of them, well, I wouldn't say a lot of them, but some of them can be harmless or other people want them. Yeah, they there's some people that set up dedicated tanks just for them. Yeah. So, yeah. They want a species tank. And, and, you know, I've had mantis in my tank, which I actually ended up uh, selling to other people that wanted them. Exactly. They're actually a fascinating creature, and, and it, it could be a really good thing. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is if it's something um, – relative i i know large is a bad word but something relatively large or something that you can actually get in and grab uh you know snail maybe snails snails might not be the best example but like you said crabs um if you can catch you know a type of mantis shrimp uh, if you find various sea slugs nudibranch something like that that you can get in there um the thing to keep in mind is taking out of the tank is not going to hurt it you know if you you know follow the procedure of just isolated in something separate and it doesn't need to be there long it only needs to be there long enough for you to get some type of identification on it and nowadays with all the forms that we have and tools that we have available to us you can usually get an identification within a day or two and these critters are going to be just fine in you know a small container or a bowl for a day or two if you you know you know keep it somewhat warm and you know whatever you need to do um so and and if the if the (laughs) Critter is fairly large. You can even poke small holes in the container so it gets water exchange, and it's just like it's in the tank, but it yeah, just can't, there you go. can't go anywhere. Great. So. Now, kind of getting you know a little bit back on there. Now, if we find some of these things, and let's say I find this this crab that comes you know scooting out of out of some of my rocks, and I have absolutely no idea in it uh, of what it is. What's the downside of just leaving it there? Well, that's that's the thing is is there there may be no downside. Uh, it's, uh, of course there can be, but a lot of the things that, you know, people say, oh, I see a crab again, that shared practices. Oh, it's terrible. Get it out. It's going right. to eat everything in your reef tank. Well, if you don't actually see it eating anything, or, you know, maybe you find out where that crab lives and you notice all the corals around it are deteriorating <laughs> yeah. and shrinking, then you probably, you probably, you might have a little bit of evidence that maybe it's a good idea to get that thing out. But So what you're kind of getting at is, is take a look at the environment and say, hey, you know, I have, you know, the tank's been here for months. I have no problems, no fish looking like they've been damaged, no corals that look injured or like they've been nipped on. Then the chances are that what you might find 
the chances are a little bit lower that it's actually you know negative. So you know, yeah. kind of keep take that into perspective when you're looking. Yeah, and and another thing to keep in mind is that there can be negative consequences of, of leaving something in in the in the tank, and and one of those things that can be a problem is there's a type of nudibranch that eats zoanthid coral. Mm-hmm. And if you see one or two of them in the tank and you're like, oh, well, you know, I'll just wait and see what happens. If they can breed. Before you know it. <laughs> you can you can rapidly get a very large population of nudibranchs that are decimating your, your zoanthids. Right. And that's where if you see something like that, um, you can try to isolate and identify it and get a... Uh, get an identification, at least a, a partial identification on it. Right. And uh, one other thing I think we should point out here is that if you're removing things from the tank, use, use a collection cup or wear gloves because some of these things yeah. can be quite quite prickly. Some of yep. them can be even poisonous, mm-hmm. and, and you, need to, you need to be careful with that. So use gloves is the best recommendation, and try to use a cup or some kind of small container to actually scoop them out. Don't use your hand. Yeah. And you know, and I think another thing that bring up uh, is, you know, especially going along the, you know, okay, so we got the isolate part. Now the identifying part, uh, especially with a lot of these types of crabs and stuff, it's identification and full positive identification is extremely difficult, even with a great image. Um, but taking a picture of a crab that's mostly shoved behind a rock through your tank, you know, around, a, a, you know, the thing that's sitting in front. I mean, try, getting it out of the tank is extremely critical to getting a good photograph of it. And without a good photograph of it, you know, getting a positive identification can be very, can be very difficult. So uh, if you are working to identify something, um, it's usually best to try to get it out if you can and then take your pictures that way rather than, you know, trying to get a, a shot of it while it's moving around in your tank. Yes, yeah, so it's a very good point, and I'm actually going to be doing an instructional video on what kind of pictures are good and what kind of pictures are bad, and, and awesome. a few tips on how to take them. So uh, we'll, we'll be uh, that'll actually be part of my reef keeping series. We'll talk about a little bit later, but great. So great. Once we uh, once we start looking at you know you, you have a crab that's that's 18 inches into your tank, half covered by a piece of rock, and it's a nighttime shot with a, with a flash <laughs> that's covering a part of the crab, you're not going to be able to identify it. So, Right, right. Getting good pictures is important, and even when you have them, there's so much life out there that's either not cataloged or looks so similar to other life, you may not even be able to get anywhere even close to a, a good identification on it. And that's just part of the thing we have to deal with in the hobby. Okay. Now, so it sounds like there, there, you know, really there can be a lot of, you know, bad things that are, that are possible in their tanks. You know, what are some of the good sides to some of these hitchhikers we might find? Well, there's actually uh, quite a bit of good benefits. Uh, that's where the whole isolate and identify comes in is you can actually identify, hey, I got some really good stuff in, in the tank. And uh, first of all, just overall, is it, it's good to have more diversity in your tank than to be killing things off all the time. Right. Because a more diverse tank is going to, in in general, will be more stable. So right. that's a good thing for your tank. Um, but you can get a lot of different uh, hitchhikers or critters that 
are actually very beneficial in processing nutrients in your tank. You can have filter feeders. You can have uh, various things that eat detritus off of your sand bed to keep your sand bed clean. Um, and one thing that's frequently overlooked is you've got all these little micro crustaceans that live in holes in your live rock. And there's an article by Dr. Shemek that talks about live rock and how these little micro crustaceans running in and out of these holes are actually moving water in and out of the rock. And that's one of the primary ways live rock acts as a good filter. So leaving all these little things in there can actually help improve the the functionality of your live rock. Oh yeah, and there's some you know very very good points, and you know I'm going to have to find that article because it does sound interesting, and I haven't really thought about that, but it does kind of lead to you know some of the the ways that the live rock is efficient and stuff that it does. So you know on on that note, um, you know now we kind of know the goods and the bads with them. What are some of the most interesting hitchhikers that you found in your tank? Well, uh, my favorite is actually a, a terabellid polychaete. Uh, and for those of you that don't know that... I was going to say, uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the common name for it is actually a spaghetti worm. Ah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I'm not talking about hair worms, which are a different genus that are the small ones. I'm talking, I got uh, a spaghetti worm on one of my hitchhiking, hitchhiked in on some of my live rock. And this guy, I saw him the first night I put the live rock in the tank. He's about 8 to 10 inches long, and he's got tentacles that can reach about 2 and a half feet in my tank, which is wow. over, half, half, over half the width of my tank. And, and he's developed his own set of tunnels. He's got three different entrances, and he actually goes all the way down to the, the bottom of my tank so I can see his tunnels underneath the tank. Uh -huh. And it's a, they're a fabulous species for... Um, Keeping the sand bed clean. If any oh, yeah, sounds like it. krill or mysis or anything uh, falls onto the sand bed, he's got his feeding mm -hmm. tentacles out there, and he'll pull them right in. And so that's my favorite. And then um, another one is because I, I got my live rock from uh, Tampa Bay Saltwater, and they have a lot of hitchhiking corals on their live rock. Right. Yeah. And, and which, but it, you know, it's also common for Pacific live rock to occasionally get a hitchhiking coral, so I'm not trying to, you know, plug TBS, but <laughs> yeah. um, they, they, they have um, what are called, um, again, probably <laughs> slaughter some pronunciation here, but uh, they have what's called a Manicina species. Uh, it's actually a genus, Manicina genus, uh, which is a type of brain coral. Uh -huh. And um, they're fabulous little corals. They, they, and they've been growing in my tank. I've had them for over a year now. And they have excellent feeding response, so it's really cool to feed them. And unfortunately, uh, TBS suffered through the red tide in Florida last oh, year. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you heard about that. Um, but those, those corals, all those corals died off during the red tide. So now I've got something in my tank that very few people have. And feels like I kind of like, you know, rescued him from the red tide. So I, think <laughs> yeah. that, I think that's kind of neat. Yeah. Well, you know, and I mean, my, my past with the hitchhikers, I, I think the two biggest things that I've found, um, you know, the first common one was a decorator crab. Uh, and when wow. I, I, yeah. And when I first found it, it was relatively large, but it, you know, it had always been hidden. And I actually found it when I was 
tearing down my small tank and moving everything over to a new larger tank. And the funniest thing, I, I found this little guy in there and he had living Xenia polyps attached to one of his claws. So it was like he was walking around <laughs> waving the like holding flowers, but it was it was this stalk of Xenia and it wasn't more than like an maybe a half, three quarters of an inch long with like one or two polyps on the end, but it was it was kind of interesting to see. And uh, uh, he moved over to the other tank, and I believe, although I'm not positive, that when I was looking, that was probably uh, almost two years ago when I made the move now, a year and a half or so, uh, but I think I actually found him again in, uh, in the big tank. So, I mean, very, very elusive. I don't see it very often, but uh, I did see uh, a similar-looking crab popping around in there, so... Uh, yeah, and and that that's very cool. I mean, that's one thing you know. People sometimes say decorator crabs. Oh no, you got to get rid of those. They'll I have your never tank. had a problem with them. And yeah, that's another thing of just yeah. You know, hey, leave it in there for a little while, and if you see it doing a lot of damage, that's when yeah. it comes out. But if not, mm-hmm. you've got a very cool. I mean, crabs are one of the most interesting little critters. You oh, can I have agree. Them. Yeah. Uh, granted, you don't see yours very often, but right, yeah, they they can they can be uh, very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I found him, I mean, I I took him out, and I and that's exactly what I did. I had put him into. I've got a little um, like a beaker type thing. It's a little two cup measuring cup, and I had put him in there and gotten just loads of pictures, videos, you know, everything of him just popping around. And uh, uh, you know, now that I say this on here, I'm sure I'm going to get like 300 posts of let's see him, let's see him. So I might have to yeah. put some of those up on on the, on the site here, but. Um, I'll see what I can do for that. I do have videos and pictures, so I'll I'll see about getting some of those up. But yeah, the other thing, thing, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention, and it was something that, to my knowledge, I don't remember ever actually getting a positive ID on it. Um, and I had saw it um, over two years ago again in my small tank, and I had almost forgotten about it. And then it was about a two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. I was behind my tank, um, you know, cleaning the glass because I've been trying real hard to keep all four sides of my tank clean because it's amazing if you go to the back of your tank and kind of look underneath through the back of your live rock, there's just some amazing stuff that you can see in there. Um, yeah, yeah. All that said, I saw, and I don't, I, I'm sure it wasn't the same one, but I saw another one. And the only way that I can really, you know, explain what it looked like it, you know, it, if you know what it is, it looked like a trilobite. It was, okay. you know, probably about three quarters of an inch long, maybe half of an inch long, and it was like plated, you know, with with these mm-hmm. layers of plates. Like, an, if you think of like an armadillo shell, um, you know, yeah. but if you if you know what a, a trilobite looks like, or at least the, you know the fossils of them, um, it looked very similar to that in that it was, it it was oval like a pill, you know, pill shaped. Mm-hmm. And had these little plates that kind of uh, ridged up in the middle. And it, you know, the first time I saw it, I thought it was just some kind of growth. And then I, you know, me being Mr. Inquisitive started, you know, poking at it with, you know, a wooden spoon that I had. And then it slowly started moving and crawling. And, you know, I didn't, you know, by the time I thought, oh, maybe I should try to pop it off. It had crawled into a, um, a little spot, but I actually was able to get a couple pictures. I think I have to go back and see if I still have them. I know I tried, but I don't remember if I got anything good because I remember I tried to get an ID on them and it didn't work. Well, I don't the, think it worked out very actually, good. Actually, with with the description you've given there, I might be able to help you out just a little bit. Um, 
<laughs> that's it's what you're describing sounds most similar to what's called a chiton. Uh, it's C H I T O N. C H I T O N. Yep, and they're they're that a type does sound of, familiar. Um, if if my memory is serving me correctly, I believe they're a type of gastropod because they're re- related to snails, and they have the they have eight armored plates. That's yep. one characteristic of them is there's always eight plates. They're generally oval shaped. Some of them can be quite you know quite elongated though. But most of them that are seen in aquariums are, are one inch or less. Um, and I actually just recently discovered... Yep, that's it. I just pulled of, it up on Wikipedia. That's, that's exactly yeah. what it looks like. Um, and there's a great website. I wish... Uh, I'll, maybe I'll try to email it to you. But there's a website with just pictures of all the different varieties you can get. And I, but I actually have a couple of those that hitchhiked in my rocks. Uh, one of them is bright red and the other one's pink. And very, very pretty. Yeah. See, now um, mine's and, nothing special. It's drab grayish color. You know, it was just interesting yeah. to see it. But they're they're actually a, a, a very they uh, you know there's no research that's been done on this, but mm-hmm. um, the theory is that they're actually pretty good to have because what they do is uh, they have one of the stronger uh, radula, which is the the mouth part that can uh, eat things off of rock. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the downside is that they sometimes eat coral and algae, but the upside is by them... Oh, please, grass- please eat my coralline algae. That's That would be the best <laughs> thing that could happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they'll rasp on the rock and, and kind of open up little pores in the rock that have been closed up by the coral and algae. Oh, cool. And, and so they, they actually can help kind of open up your rock a little bit. And Now, granted, most of them don't reproduce in tanks, so you're not right. talking too much of a benefit, but... Uh, in general, they're they're considered a good hitchhiker, and and I think very fascinating to watch. Awesome. No, well, see, uh, we're all learning something. I knew I had it, and when, now that you mention <laughs> it, it does sound familiar um, that someone might have identified that before. I just I couldn't recall when I was thinking yeah. about it, but yeah, that's... And, you know, we we should we should uh, you know hedge our bets a little bit here that you know we're doing an identification based off of. Just uh, an audio description. We're not looking at pictures, so it well, no. I pulled it up on on Wikipedia right yeah. now, live. I mean, I pulled up the website, and they, they do have some pictures there. And um, the pictures that I'm looking at, I mean, other than coloration, the you know body yeah. plans look you know very very similar. Um, yeah, and and they all have a very similar structure. There's there's yeah. a few that can be quite elongated, but generally they're oval, and it's usually something that's fairly easy to. To identify. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Well, now that we we kind of got off onto the little tangent there, um, <laughs> which, which which is fine. I think we had some interesting information there. Um, yep. Kind of bring things back in and begin to wrap the show up. Uh, I wanted to take a minute and see if uh, there is any previews that you might have wanted to give us on any future projects or anything that you're working on that uh, we can expect from you. I know you've been on the show a lot. Uh, talking about various things that you've been working on. So what does Mr. Plankus have in the future for all of us reefers? <laughs> well, I'm actually working on a number of things. Um, and I've just uh, worked out an agreement with uh, reefkeeping.com, and I'm going to be doing an article series uh, entitled uh, Hobbyist Advancing the Hobby. And, and the whole theme that's going to be behind this series of articles is that you know there's some things that are going on in the hobby that 
kind of bother me and, and I know bother a lot of other hobbyists. And yeah. mm-hmm. what I'm talking about is, is, you know, uh, destructive practices when harvesting fish and, and, uh, over collecting things. And, you know, there's, there's some fairly big issues in the hobby that, you know, hobbyists feel guilty about and they, they try to help, but generally there's not, you know, in terms of like destructive practices, of uh, fish harvesting, other than buying captive raised fish, and you know agreeing not to purchase fish from say the Philippines. Right. Um, there's not much that we can concrete, really do. Concrete things that hobbyists can do, and I, right. I think that's one thing that's frustrated me. And in conversations with other hobbyists, that's another thing that has come up multiple times. And so one of the things that this article series is going to be addressing is I'm going to be trying to present ways, concrete ways that hobbyists really can help out the hobby. And, and you know, it may be small things at first, but right. if we come together as hobbyists, we could actually have a significant impact. Awesome. And you said that's going to be with reef keeping? Yes, it's going to be a, a several article series. Uh, where I present a, a variety of topics that I think we can, that hobbyists can work together on, and and start looking, looking at ways that we could we can try to help advance the hobby. And and some of my my ideas might not pan out, but it'll get people thinking and get yeah, people talking try. about it. <laughs> and it may lead to another idea that somebody else has, and then we can all join in on that idea. Yep. And yep. that and that's. The whole idea is try to get people thinking, and and I think if we work together, I think there's ways we can uh, we can do some good things. And and I'm very excited about a couple of the ideas, but we we need to get the the articles out there first to kind of present the ideas. Right. Well, you do me a favor, and when they get published, let me know so I can kind of get the information into one of the shows if you know you know i'm sure we will get a chance in the future to to have you on and and talk about at least one of the parts uh, of the series that you're doing um but if it's you know if the article comes out before we get the chance then make sure you 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 let me know so i can let everybody know that the articles are coming out so hopefully we can get everybody that's listening to go read them Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think we could definitely do a, a couple, at least one show, possibly more. And and uh, but I will let you know when that that series starts coming out. Perfect. Uh, well, uh, at this point, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add regarding night viewing um, and you know the hitchhikers that we might find while night viewing uh, that we might not have covered or, or missed or didn't come up? Um, just I one other thing I thought about as we were talking about is that if you have hitchhikers or things that come out at night that are generally attached to the rock, in other words, they're not mobile, um, they're probably not necessarily, they, they, most likely they'll not be a, a bad thing. Now, what Except, kind of you know, things they, are, you, are you kind of referring to, like those, uh, those uh, uh, you, worms? You might, or... some, uh, you might see some more feather dusters at night. Right. Sometimes they're out during the day, but... You can get some of them that come out at night. I have a, a type of horseshoe worm that generally doesn't like to be out in the light, but at nighttime they're always out. Mm-hmm. And and you may get some uh, algae or corals that, that generally are kind of deflated during the day or, or 
just aren't very visible during the day and then they come out at night. Gotcha. So, you know, there's, there's obviously exceptions to that, but one, you know, hydroids would be an example. You may not see those too much during the day, but Mm -hmm. they can come out at night and, and can be stinging things. But, um, just that, you know, it's better to try to leave things that are actually attached to the rock try to get a picture of it in your tank because you can things that are attached to the rock can be damaged quite severely if right. you try to remove them. <laughs> right. Or if you can, if the rock is small enough, just take the rock out and maybe put that into a container or a small tank of water uh, to where you can, yeah. you know, that might allow, if you don't have the opportunity already, that might allow you to get closer with your camera and get a good picture of it. Yes, that's a very good point, Rob. So, but uh, in terms of everything else, I think we've done a, a pretty good job of covering things, and I, I don't have anything else to add tonight. Awesome. Well, uh, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to join us this week, and uh, hopefully, with with uh, your future projects and articles and stuff that you you know got in the background here, and the stuff that you talked about, and the top secret stuff that you're not telling us. <laughs> um, <laughs> We, the world wants to know. No. Um, so hopefully with the stuff that you got going on, we'll, uh, you know, I know that we'll have you back on in the future. So, uh, again, thank you for coming on this week, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on soon. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It was a pleasure, Rob. Uh, have a good evening. Okay, thanks. You too. And, again, I just wanted to mention special thanks to Brian for, again, taking the time and joining us uh, for this topic. Now, moving on, uh, I just wanted to close up real quick with some announcements and items to discuss. Uh, First of all, again, I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, Coral Dynamics has been great sponsoring the show uh, and uh, helping to support everything that we're doing here. So make sure you check out their website, uh, check out the contest and the free Coral giveaways that they do with their orders and and everything there. So make sure you check out uh, CoralDynamics.com and check out some more of that information. The next thing I wanted to mention real quick is we are bringing back the Talking Reef Tank of the Month contest. Uh, Special congratulations to Wes and Carmi, uh, W. West and Carmi Joe on the forums. Uh, They were selected and kind of put in charge of running the contest for TalkingReef.com. And what we're going to be doing is over the next couple days, uh, I know what basically what I had said is by the end of this week, so this being uh, put out on Thursday, uh, so by it should be by tomorrow, the contest announcement for the next contest is going to be announced, uh, be posted up on the forum. So make sure you keep an eye on the forums the next couple days to get the information about the contest. Uh, everything's going to be in there, the rules to the contest, what the contest is going to be about, uh, you know, specific details, and the prizes that are going to be given away. Uh, we're not going to go real extravagant uh, starting out with these contests, but uh, they should be some fun. So make sure you check out uh, that information there. Uh, next thing, uh, again, I wanted to uh, mention that Talking Reef is, again, and still looking for uh, any people that would like to sponsor or advertise with Talking Reef Podcast or the Talking Reef website. Uh, if you are a business owner or are close friends with a business owner that would be interested, uh, make sure that you uh, send me an email, podcast at talkingreef.com. And we've got a full media kit, and we can get all that information out to you if you are interested in becoming a sponsor or advertiser with Talking Reef. Next thing I wanted to mention real quick is something that we've kind of started up doing. We've done a little bit in the past, and we just set up some new ones. Uh, we set up a we're doing local area forums uh, and 
just an example, the newest one that we just set up was uh, for someone that was looking for a forum for people to have discussions in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I believe it was. And so what we're doing is we're just setting up forums. Uh, and these forums would be, you know, again, specifically for uh, local, you know, metro area, city, even state uh, discussions. Uh, if you had, you know, places to announce local specials, local gatherings, um, club meetings, anything like that. Uh, so if you are from the Oklahoma area, you now have a special forum for your uh, your geographical location set up in the Talking Reform. So if you go to the website and click on forms and scroll to the bottom, you'll see that form there. And if you are looking and are interested in setting up something similar to this, uh, it's very easy to do. Just PM me uh, on the website, and uh, I just all I'll need is a name and uh, and everything there, and we can get it set up for you. If you got any questions, let me know. So uh, if you're interested, let me know. And the last thing, uh, you know, the usual listener call-in mention. Just want to let everybody know if you had any questions, introductions for the show comments or anything else like that call into the voicemail line Uh, just pick up the phone dial area code 586-486-3357 we'll get your comments played on the air and uh, if you use skype you can skype at talkingreef.com or i'm sorry the screen name uh, skype uh, skype screen name is if i could talk today the skype screen name is talking reef so uh, if you have skype you can call that and i usually won't answer (laughs) but uh just leave a voicemail. There's a voicemail on there. It's the same voicemail you can pick up. Uh, leave leave the message there, and we'll get that played on this show for you, too. Uh, so that's going to about wrap it up for this week. I hope everybody enjoyed the show, and I will talk to you all next week.